Lane, thank you uh, for being here, man. I want to just start by asking you maybe a, a thought-provoking question. I actually didn't prepare you. I, I kind of created a new list of questions here. So there, okay. there, there could be some uh, wheels churning here on your end, but that's, that's what we want. Um, but I want to ask you, stuff you sent me originally. <laughs> I got to throw you some curveballs, but, um, yeah. I want to ask you to, to start things off. Um, w- w- if you don't mind telling me something that's made you feel fulfilled or, or passionate in the last three months. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm just going to say it, uh, cause like I love my mom always said, uh, trust your gut right? She always said that. So like, I always like to run with that. Um, is my spending time with my baby niece, uh, Emmy. She was born September 28th of this year. And the most, my favorite moment that made me feel like fulfilled as like a man, a male figure, male role model. And like the women in my life that matter the most was like when I got to go into town, cause my sister's husband is active duty Marines. So we came home for a month when she was born. Now he's gone though. He's deployed. So kind of sad, but at the same time, you know, he's serving our country. So, uh, respect him. He's a great man. Right. Um, treats my sister really well. Uh, but she's there by herself. So that can be tough. And I got to come into town, stay with her for the the night or a couple nights. And the first time I was there, I took Emmy and took care of her all night, uh, so that my sister could sleep all the, all the way through the night. Cause she's an infant. And I got to like, just, she slept on her tummy, call it tummy time. She slept on her tummy right next to me. And, uh, I, I remember when she went to bed, finally, I was holding her uh, and like patting her on the back. And when I put her down on her tummy, I was just like praying that she would sleep because <laughs> they're hard to put down sometimes. And I remember she, I thought she was sleeping. So I like creeped into bed, like super slowly and just like crossed my arms and laid back and just tried to not move, but so she could sleep, but, and then woke up with her and changed her and took care of her. And then we slept all the way until 1030. But I, I say all of that to paint the picture of like how fulfilling and like amazing it was to be like a present man who is active in his family's life, who isn't uh, manipulative or dishonest like I used to be in my past life and and I show up and do what I say I'm gonna do. And then like, my sister trusts me with her newborn child, you know, two months old and she trusts me to take care of her because I'm her Funko Lanebow and she knows that I'll I'll protect her, you know, with my life and I'll take care of her. So anyways, yeah, that, that made me feel so fulfilled on a very personal and intimate level. I love that, man. I love that. What is her name again? Your niece? Emerson. Emerson Reed. Emerson. Wow. That's a beautiful name. Isn't it? That's a, it's very edgy. Yeah. You could go uh, a lot of different ways with that. Emmy, M, E, whatever. I don't know. I love whatever it. Whatever she wants to go by. Hey, we'll roll with it. Um, man, so that's a beautiful answer. And I think it rolls into um, this next question I have for you, which is kind of centered around your strengths. And I absolutely, we know each other very well. We just, uh, did a tour of Alaska recently and, um, got to show, show all of Anchorage, our, our Sungas. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. I've gotten people have questioned that picture. They're, they're like, they're confused. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you know, don't ask those questions. You know what I, you know what I'm talking you don't need to know. I, I, it was a very confusing time, I think, maybe for both <laughs> of us. But uh, we came out of it on the other end. Yeah. But I, 
I think I learned a lot about you through that trip. It, I mean, it traveling with anyone, I think you, it like amplifies maybe times 10, the, the learning curve of, of getting to know someone's character. And through that trip, I, I was just blown away by just the amount of energy that you have within you, like the passion and the excitement you have for, for life. And like you are what I would consider, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I think like a true extrovert and that you can just go up to anyone and strike up a conversation and make people feel very comfortable. Um, so I think all of those things just are like, to me, super admirable. And it's why I love hanging out with you, man. And, um, so I love hanging out with you, man. <laughs> Dude, I love yeah. you. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a moment. We're having a moment. Yeah. Let's, let's a, pause. But yeah. I, I want to ask you regarding, you know, your strengths, you know, if you would tell me kind of when you realized, um, a strength of yours that, that maybe that came easily or, or naturally to you. Yeah. And I appreciate all those kind of words, Grant. I feel lots of ways about you. And, and, and I think that, uh, spending time with you is great, you know, uh, getting to know you, um, apart from just that, you know, dreamy American man, you know, that everyone sees you as getting, getting to know the real you. No, seriously though, you're, you're awesome. And, uh, and I thought, I thought you were more extroverted than you are, which you, you are, it's not like you're not right. But like uh, you're interested, you're an interesting character. Right. But, um, and, and I enjoyed spending time with you, but, uh, to, to, like to what you said, I think that it made me think of a memory when I was a kid. Um, I, I always remember like looking back to when I was a child, I can't specifically put my finger on like the first time or like specific times always, but I always wanted to um, have people feel included and um, comfortable. Like you said, comfortable, but like inclusive is like a very big personality trait of mine that I can trace back to as a kid. Yeah, actually, I can think of this. When my buddy Mikey, well, we were in kindergarten, I believe, or first grade, and we were outside, and some kids were making fun of him because of his weight, and I didn't like that, you know? So, like, I'm going to say something, and I did. You know, as a kid, I don't remember exactly what I said, um, but I let them know, like, hey, like, don't be ugly. It was probably what I said because my mom used to say that, but, you know, it's like, let's not, you know, don't be mean to them. Like, I want everyone to feel safe and included, right, type stuff. Um, and then like, if someone's sitting alone, I want them to come sit with us, um, to make a friend or to have company if they'd like. Um, and not to say that, like, I was always like this. I was like this as a kid and then I got away from it for about a decade, which we'll talk about later. And now I'm getting back to it, my truest self. Right. But, but as a child and now today, I, I think that that's one of my strongest personality traits is, uh, inclusiveness and wanting everyone to feel, uh, a part of if they want to. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And would you say that's something that was just naturally uh, a part of you? Or you mentioned your mom, is, is that something that she really stressed at that time? I think it was probably like 80-20, 80-20 rule of like 80% just like natural because like I just think that's in my nature. But my mom's a part of my nature and like my upbringing, like nature versus nurture, right? Um but uh, she raised me and my sisters to be kind and to, um, she always said, don't be ugly. And she didn't mean physically. She meant uh, it was impossible for me and my sisters to be ugly physically, but we could be ugly uh, verbally or, you know, whatever um, mean, you know, 
don't don't be mean to other people. Um, and so that was like a the umbrella phrase my mom said, but she instilled in us like how to be a good human being and, and how to be a good friend. And I think that she definitely taught me some things about inclusiveness, but I think that like the core trait, like within myself is very much just like part of my uh, uh, makeup, but my mom definitely played a big role in that. Yeah. Um, what are maybe some other core strengths that you developed that maybe you didn't naturally have that, that you, that you have now? That's a really good question. Um, I'd say, yeah, okay, that's a great question, actually, uh, making my making me think. But uh, I would have to say, like, undoubtedly, the answer is self love. Um, maybe it's cliche these days, you know, the self love. Gotta love ourselves first. But really, because coming from a person, I was never really that comfortable with myself as a kid. I, I don't know, like, maybe I had like, I think I had like a cockiness as a child growing up playing sports and stuff. Like, I don't know if it was a true like confidence in my self as a kid, you know, still figuring a lot of things out. Um, but once I became a teenager and got into uh, drugs and alcohol, um, that's where my confidence lied. And it was a false confidence. And I didn't know who I was necessarily. Um, and it wasn't truly like till I learned what it meant to love myself until like, or like how it like how I needed it or wanted it maybe. Went until I really hated myself, <laughs> you know, towards the end of my uh, active uh, drinking and drugging because I hated myself so much that uh, I wanted to like kick my own ass. Like when I looked at myself in the mirror, like I hated myself more than I ever hated anyone else in the world. So that's pretty strong, you know. And um, but today, going back to your question about the strength I've developed is self-love because today I love myself. Um which I never thought I would exactly say, you know, in the past years, but I do. And it's not just like a <clears throat> overnight thing. It's a lot of personal work as anybody would probably uh, attest to that. That's on that journey. And it's not an always thing. Like I'm not always really kind to myself. I think being kind to ourselves can be one of the hardest things in the world to do. Being kind to someone else, like my mom taught us, is easy. Being kind to yourself. I mean, it can be easy, you know, but being kind to yourself is, is way harder, I believe, than being kind to other people, you know? Um, so, yes, loving myself um, is definitely, like, the best quality I've developed. And I think it's a quality that, like, I want everyone to have, obviously, because um, it's nice to value yourself in your own life, you know? Yeah. Man, well, I, I think I, I definitely can attest to to that uh, that self-love because it, it, it radiates and every time I'm around you, man, I, I feel that. And I think that's just such a contagious strength to develop. And it's like you said, such a hard one to develop too, because it is so easy to be critical of yourself and be your own worst enemy. Um, and, you know, sacrifice even your own happiness for, um, for the happiness of others or just, you know, the, the quick hitter of, of, a, of a drug or a substance, or um, even yeah. just like an attention drain, even if, you know, there's so many different types of addiction and, um, and, and we're going to, you know, hopefully get to explore a little bit about what um, your journey was through, through addiction. But I mean, even people addi are addicted to their phones, right. To, yeah. to Netflix, to, to Instagram. Um, I, I'd love, you know, maybe now is the best time to kind of dive in and, and, um, I, I, I'd love to, 
maybe just ask you to tell us uh, or start by de- describing um, maybe the the journey through your through your path, you know, through addiction and and what that's looked like. Um, I don't know where you want to start, but maybe it's with your first drink, or maybe it's with the first feelings of um, loneliness or or uh, anxiety that maybe led to that. But um, I'd love for you to take us off from there. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm like telling my story at the podium, like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so. I would say that, um, you know, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Lane and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was born an alcoholic. I've come to realize, um, I believe that. And I think it's a lot more accepted, like in the medical, uh, field that we are born alcoholics or addicts and it's recognized. Um, but to your point about like, addicting being addicted to other things is very real too like it releases like dopamine serotonin whatever goes on up there like when someone gambles or sex or uh, even the phone or like the attention someone gets if they post a photo and they get so many likes or if they don't you know what I mean like there's so many like emotions and things going on in our brain that we get from things but for me and and I can struggle with those things too those different like sex or um or, or the screen whatever screen it is right um but uh for me yeah drugs and alcohol alcohol specifically, but also drugs. But um, yeah, so as a kid, I always had like temper tantrums. I was always like irritable and uh, in a sense, but I was a fun kid and I had, I had a good time, but I always had a temper, right? So I was always irrit- irritable to a certain extent from, from the get-go and not emotionally stable. Um, and I had a good upbringing, right? My parents raised me well, have two baby sisters. Um, we're really close. Uh, but I think that for me, like my parents got divorced at 12. My mom had her struggles uh, with addiction herself. Not my story to tell, but, um, you know, she ended up overcoming it. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but, um, but yeah, my parents got divorced. So, like, my mom left the house. It was my dad and my sisters. Right. So, it's an interesting life transition. I was, like, crying for attention back then. Right. Um, those are, like, my first uh, thoughts or, like, actions of, like, suicidal ideations or, like, uh, actions, right. I would like cut my wrist, but not actually kind of thing like for attention, but still not good behavior. Right. But nothing then was too like crazy. And, but then at 14, my dad passed away unexpectedly. So I mean, my dad were really close. I haven't mentioned him much. He passed like 12 years ago. So it's kind of sad how that goes down. But like, as time goes on, um, I forget a lot of things I've been almost, I've been alive almost as long as he's been gone or I've been alive. He passed at 14. I'm 26. Right. So I, I'm almost to like the halfway point to where he like, he was alive for half my life and not for another half, which is like a long time. Right. right. Anyways, uh, he was a great dad though. And taught me a lot about what it is to like have a best friend as a dad, you know, and like be a good dad. And, and he was stern, stern, but fair. Um, but uh, he held it down, man. He was my baseball coach, all that stuff. So anyways, he passed away unexpectedly from a staph infection that turned MRSA got bad quick. It was just kind of like weird. Uh, freak thing that happened he was 41 and healthy which is kind of wild right but and I don't know if I believe everything happens for a reason that's that's a that's a phrase that always bothered me but I do think that shit happens sometimes you know like you know shit happens to good people people say that right it's like I don't think there's a reason for everything um always 
I think sometimes there is. I think there's lessons to be learned from a lot of mistakes in our life. Uh, but from situations like that, it's like, I think shit just happens. And I don't think that like God has a hand in it necessarily all the time. It's not like God took my dad or could have saved him necessarily. Uh, maybe he could have saved him. I don't know. I don't know uh, exactly. But uh, that kind of goes into my journey of like my resentment towards God. And then like me coming to God in a different light um, today. But my dad passed away. That was very emotional for a 14 year old boy. Uh, my sisters were 11 and five. So that was difficult. My mom was still struggling with her own addiction. Right. So that's, that's pretty difficult for her own thing. So we get back with my mom, moved to Dallas. Um, that's when like the next summer I start experimenting with smoking marijuana, drinking a little bit. And I remember I'll tell you the first time I drank was, um, with two friends, we got an older guy to buy us a 30 pack of Keystones. It was three of us, 30 beers. And I remember when we got the pack of beer, the 30 pack to my room, I remember thinking my first thought when we had the beer there, all of us about to crack it open. I was like, there's not enough for all of us. I was like, there's not enough for me to get as drunk as I want to get. So I better drink fast. And I did, you know, and I don't know how many beers I drank that night. You know what I mean? Like we all, I don't even know if we finished all of them, but that was the thought that I had. So that was like kind of a sick thought. It's like looking back on, it, it's like, damn dude, I was already like thinking very alcoholically before I even took a drink. You know, I mean, it's 30 beers, like that's 10 each. Like, that should be right. enough, you know, but my mind didn't think so. Um, so that was my first drink. And in teenage years, I, um, you know, uh, uh, I was a blackout drinker from the get go. So every time I drank, I blacked out, you know, uh, pretty much. Uh, we drink liquor, beer, whatever, smoke. I started doing drugs in high school. Uh, when I was 17, I really got into drugs and started, I've done pretty much everything under the sun at like 17 years old, you know, besides like crack and heroin. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was not a healthy lifestyle, but at the same time, my, my mom was still dealing with her own shit uh, while I was in high school. And then we had my little sisters there. So like I was a defiant kid and an angry kid. And all I wanted to do was seek out something to change the way I felt. And for me, very, very easy thing. And also provided a sense of community. My friends that had cars, I didn't have a car, like it's like, oh, I got 10 bucks. You want to grab some bud? You know, it's like, yeah, I'll come pick you up. Then I'm out of the house with my buddies smoking weed. We'll find a way to get some drink. Maybe hang out with girls. Probably not. I, my priorities were like alcohol and drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't really think about else. Um, but, um, but, you know, that's, that's how I spent my time. And it was fun. But at the same time, when I look back on it, it's like a lot of my habits and, and uh, experiences. I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, like I was already drinking and using like in, a, in an unhealthy manner at a very young age but I didn't recognize that you know and, and didn't want to either um so yeah so I get through high school I got like kicked out of high school at the end kicked off my baseball team for like getting arrested and stuff um and then I uh end up graduating going down to Texas State and um I'm on probation which is not a good place for an alcoholic kid alcoholic in the making kid to go to school while on probation as an 18 year old freshman, you know? So go down there, get an apartment, blah, blah, blah. And um, I end up getting arrested um, with someone in the car and I go to jail, revoke my probation. I had to leave school and I actually had to go to jail in McLennan County for three months. At 18 years old, I turned 19 in McLennan County jail in Waco, wow. Texas. They give yeah. you a birthday cake? Yeah, we made one. <laughs> we made a birthday cake. Did, yeah. did you really? Yeah, of course you make you make a uh, jailhouse like spreads yeah so we uh i don't know if it is sweet one i think i just did a crazy like you like the base is like ramen 
and then you put like you get like a meat pack so you can get like a pack of like beef or a pack of like chicken i forget what the meats are i think we got beef i like beef put the beef in the ramen mix it up um and then you just put like chips on top like crunch up chips on top whatever mayonnaise hot sauce and then you like slice it up with your little fork they give you in there and then you sit down and you eat with your homies like you know however many dudes you just split it into pieces and everyone has their own piece and it wow. goes down yeah. I did not realize there was a there was a prison uh, or a jailhouse birthday cake, uh, and it sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, it was good for that night because meat packs are like ten dollars; they're expensive. Um, so it's like you don't get those every day, you know. But I was, you know, turning nineteen, had to ball out in McLennan County. Man, um, but what? How did you? This is getting maybe off track, but how did you pay ten dollars? Like, how, how did you get money to do that? Your, your family can put uh, family or friends can put money on your books and okay. it's just like a, it, it's just on the on the books so like if you you can get a sheet to fill out that like has the store list so all the items are on the sheet you have like a little pencil you mark everything that you want sign your name put your inmate number and then you give it to the person and then they bring your shit like a day or two later or whatever and then you put it on you have a little personal box you put all your shit in gotcha. and uh yeah, it's called going to store. You can go to store like a couple times a week. Right um, on. Yeah. So, anyways, it's funny we get off. I haven't talked about that like that in depth in a while. But like, <laughs> funny we talk about that because it was a very interesting and like for formative experience for me. I, it didn't it didn't set me straight by any means, but it made it to where like I never ever ever want to step foot in the jail again, um, for anything. Not even for the night but especially not for an extended period of time. And I'm very lucky and glad I didn't go to prison and I just went to jail. Three months is, is a decent amount of time, but it's not fucking a year or two, five, 10 years, you know what I mean? And like, you know, I'll tell you in a second, I could have gone to jail for way worse things, but for prison. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so anyways, I do that three months, turn 19 in jail. Like that was crazy. But um, I get out that in that night, my buddies pick me up. I go over to my friend's house, Tyler Cockrum's house on his back porch. And he actually passed away RIP to the homie. Uh, he overdosed last, um, in uh, Thanksgiving of 2019. Sad, you know, um, really awesome dude. They're like super kind, loving, but, uh, I went over there with my, my group of homies and like, we started drinking wine right off the rip, go to this party, pop some like methadone or something crazy. And then, uh, and then the next thing I know, I'm like passed out in this girl's backyard and, uh, she's like kicking me out of her party. I'm like, but why? You know what I mean? I'm like passed out against her house. She's like, you can't fucking be here like that, dude. Uh, but that was my first night out of jail. Right. So like, obviously it didn't teach me a lesson about, uh, drinking and using cause I still had that in me, but, and you, as you'll see, like my bottom was not physical like consequences in life. It was emotional and mental and spiritual turmoil internally, right? And I'll get to that. I don't want to spend forever like being drunk and high on your podcast. But um, uh, then, you know, I get out of jail and then the same shit happens for another, I'm 19, right? The same shit happens for another five years. I go through college. I ended up graduating college, which is crazy. But um, all throughout college, man, I was, you know, drinking to excess, blacking out, wrecking cars, going to jail treating people bad, treating women bad, uh, treating, ruining relationships, uh, like all the shit, you know, there's tons of stuff, you know, and like been to jail plenty of times, you know, for different things. And none of that stuff made me stop drinking, you know? Um, and towards the end, I got really like, 
Oh, the natural progression of an alcoholic, you know, like you're going to get more isolated in a sense, um, drink more by yourself, uh, drink more nights a week, not just like binge drinking. So I was drinking like four or five nights a week, maybe depending on the week, right? Um, and to blackout, you know, pretty much every night, right? So got to that point to where I just drink at home a lot. Sometimes I go to the bar, try to like hang out with the local drunks in San Marcos at my favorite bar, my Coke bar. Alex, <laughs> 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 loves Alex. Um, but, um, anyways, yeah, so it got to that point. And then that, that the turning point I was talking about a second ago is like the mental, emotional, and spiritual turmoil. Like I had been drinking and using for 10 years and I realized I was, pr I probably had a drinking problem at like 21 or so. Um, like actually, but I was, I just like neglected that thought, like, fuck that. But then at 23, Maybe like a year before I started getting sober, like I realized like, damn, dude, I think I have a real problem and I might need to do something about it, but I don't want to. So that's, I kind of drank into like oblivion at that point to like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, but I got to the point to where like, I can't live with alcohol and I can't live without alcohol because like, I can't live with it because the life I'm leading is fucking just draining. And like, I'm wrecking my life and other people's. And like, I'm just like, I wake up and like, I don't know what I did you know, and like, what, who did I piss off or what, you know, like, what did I do? And then on the other hand, it's like, I can't live without it. Cause how am I supposed to get through this terrible, horrible, shitty life without alcohol? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so then I'm at the point where it's like, okay, so if I can't do it anymore and I can't see myself living without it, then there's only one choice, right? It's to fucking kill myself, you know, uh, to off myself. Cause I told you how much I hated myself back then. Right. And referring to like the earlier part of this conversation when I said, when I looked in the mirror and hated myself that much, um, it was at this point in time when I couldn't live with it, couldn't live without it. What's the fucking choice? You know, I've told people recently and it's kind of graphic, but it's true. I wanted to curb stomp myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't just want to like, you know, just like do it to where it was like, I didn't feel anything. Like I wanted to like hurt me and then end me, you know, and like it's pretty, and, but I say this because, painting the picture of like that's really how I felt internally right like so broken man and um and yeah so thank god that I was um exposed to uh 12-step meetings uh when I was like 19 um didn't stick went back when I was 21 didn't stick so yeah I had tried to get sober a couple times kind of to get the heat off my back in a sense didn't work didn't work but what did work was that I saw people that were were, were thriving from it or that that were benefiting from these uh, this, this group of people that were like focused on sobriety, but I wasn't ready for it. But at this time when I was like, you know what, there's a thought in my mind was like, maybe they can help me, you know? So instead of like going on to the bitter end drinking or like, I don't know how to do it like without it or like killing myself or what, like all those terrible thoughts that like did not seem like good ideas. Cause I, I felt like I couldn't kill myself because my sisters and my mom at the time, my mom had just beaten cancer in, uh, um, in 2016. And this was like, this was like 2018 when I started getting sober. So like a couple of years ago, she had just beat cancer. She was supposed to die. So like, I was like, I cannot do that. You know what I mean? I couldn't choose that. And I'm glad that I felt that way, but um, I went and got help, you know? And at first, like the first seven months, actually, I stopped drinking, but I didn't stop using. Cause I was like, you know what? The drinking's my problem. Quit drinking with the help of this group of people that can help me stop drinking but I can still do coke. I can still do acid. I can still party, do Molly, hang out with like, like fun people and like 
rave girls and go to concerts and like do this stuff. You know what I mean? Like I can still do that. Like, I don't want to give up living. You know what I mean? What am I going to just like give everything up and like lock myself in my room and just like be like a square, you know, no, no way. So, um, I was doing that for seven months. And then at the end of that seven months, the same feeling was creeping in of like depression, self-hatred, suicidal ideation. And I was like, dude, I've been sober. I wasn't actually sober. I was, I, I had abstained from alcohol for seven months, but I wasn't sober. Right? I was still putting these things in my body. Right. I was like, dude, I've been sober for seven months. Like what's going on, man? You know what I mean? Like, why do I not feel better? And it's because I wasn't like actually doing it. And the real thing is I wasn't able to connect with God or like a higher power at the time. You know, I couldn't, couldn't figure that out for myself because I was getting blocked by all these things. I'll put my body, but I will tell one story. The last substance I ever used was November 4th of 2018. I went with my buddy, Andrew French, you know, him, <laughs> and uh, met him at my work. I was in Florida. I was living in Florida working and we went to Miami to club space and to a, a all night concert from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. and we dropped four hits of the strongest acid that I've ever done and had a spiritual journey that night, right? And mind you, going into this night, I was feeling all these feelings of like suicidal ideations. Why is this not working for me? Like I've been sober for like seven months. Like what's the deal? Like I need this journey. I need to go like let loose and like explore some things, right? And I and I definitely explored some things. You know what I'm saying? So that night. I go in there and like, it's all fun and dandy, you know, until you start peaking you know? and then it's like, Oh my God. So I started having this like super spiritual experience of, um, of like feeling the feelings of the men in my life that loved me. And then I felt the feelings of the women in my life that loved me. And it was intimate and close and it was amazing. And then I started like tackling like some of my character defects, you know what I mean? Like, some of the things that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I didn't like about myself, my lustfulness or my pride, my ego, my uh, selfishness, like whatever it was, like I started like thinking about these things. Like I was elevated from my body, like thinking of these things and like trying to like get to the bottom of them and like leaving them there on the dance floor, you know, like I'm done with that. Like I'm over it. You know what I mean? I'm over my pride. I'm over my lustfulness, over my ego. Well, anyways, that was an amazing experience. It was kind of, it was crazy. Right. And but at the end of it, the most awesome thing that happened during that, that trip was I came to the realization that I could receive the, I could find what I was looking for in drugs through sobriety, like through prayer and meditation and like living life to its fullest sober. I realized that I could do that. I could get what I was looking for on acid and other drugs. I could do it sober. And it could be better. And like, that was the final thought I had. And I was like, holy shit. So then I told my friend, Andrew, like we're on the beach in Miami and the next day I didn't sleep, but it was really cool to be at the beach and see the beautiful ocean, gorgeous ocean. And, um, and I told him, you know, I was like, dude, I can do this. I can get this feeling sober. So that was like crazy for me, right? So that was the last time I put anything in my body that's mind altering. And then I started my journey. And, you know, um, at first I wasn't taking the guidance. I wasn't really working with anybody um to help me do it right and that's really critical for me and what i do is, is having someone a mentor to guide me <laughs> that's been there before but i didn't have that for the first three four months and uh, my mom passed away the cancer came back and my mom passed away 
um, while I was two months sober, literally two months sober. Wow. And I don't know how I stayed sober through that time. It's hmm. insane. It's, it's an unworldly thing that I stayed sober that time. So I used and drank for 10 years and I stayed sober when my mom died, who was one of the closest women to me. How does that happen? You know what I mean? Like I couldn't have done that. Right. So it's like God, universe, whatever, you know what I mean? Is like held me and carried me through that time. Um, because I, I was making an effort to stay sober. Right. And, and God guided me. So then a couple months later, uh, after my mom passed away, I moved back to Dallas to be closer to the family and my company moved me there, which was perfect I'm from Texas, native Texan. Uh, hell yeah. But, um, hell yeah, hell yeah brother. Um, <laughs> but I uh, love, love me some Texas, but, um, yeah. So, uh, I moved back to Texas and then I find a, a group of like-minded sober people that like have what I want, you know, and they're like happy and having fun and all this. So like I get plugged into this group and I start doing the work and my, my work looks like a 12 step program. Um, so, you know, in short, it's like, um, understanding that like I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol, you know, and then I have to find a power greater than me to help me to walk me through these things. Right. And that's a hard pill to swallow at first. Cause I had a big resentment at God. So I thought God took my parents from me, you know, I told you today, I don't see it that way. I see it. God is my friend. God weeps with us when we lose people and he celebrates with us when we're happy. Um, and I don't believe in a specific, uh, uh, God that may be depicted in any one of uh, the religions. Uh, God is my own God as I understand him. And I, and I created it, you know, like God's like my, my dog, me and my friend, Martin Angus jr. Say, uh, we were praying during our New York trip and we'd always pray and he'd be like, G O D my dog <laughs> that's why i like to think of god as like god my dog you know and he was tough um and like god's my friend you know um but anyway so i get plugged in i start doing this work i start taking inventory of myself like looking at myself like where was i a piece of shit in my past um what what kind of resentments was i harboring towards other people um you know and like who did i like hate and why did basically who did i hate and why did i hate myself you know <laughs> Those are the two questions, essentially. Yeah. And then putting it down and thinking about it, talking through it with another man that was like my mentor. And then doing this doing this work, trying to right the wrongs in my past. And then also trying to help other people get sober and connecting with God, right? And it sounds, it is pretty simple, actually. It's very simple. But to do it takes uh, uh, commitment and discipline, right? And that's something I don't have naturally. Uh, and I don't always today, right? Because when I go a few days without praying without meditating, or I don't go a few days without praying anymore. I never do that. But I go a few days without meditating, or if I miss one of my meetings I go to for my sobriety, that can be really challenging, you know, for like internally for my emotions, spirits, uh, mentality. So it's like staying plugged in and consistently doing these things is very important. But the number one key to me keeping my sobriety is helping someone who's still suffering from alcoholism or addiction and trying to help them. Just like that mentor pulled me out from the shit he pulled me out of my own bathtub full of shit. You know what I'm saying? He found me and I walked into the room of that meeting and I was sitting in my bathtub full of shit. And at this point, it got so comfortable that I just forgot I was sitting in my own shit. The smell kind of went away because I was just kind of getting comfortable. Like, whatever, you know, just basking in it. Like, whatever. I'll just stay here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, why would I go anywhere? It's actually pretty comfy now that I think about it. You know what I'm saying? And then he reached in there, dapped me up, pulled me out showed me how to clean myself up, showed me how to clean up the wreckage of my past, showed me how to 
live a sober life as a man and then showed me how to give it back to somebody else. You know what I mean? And how amazing is that? You know what I mean? Like, and that's the foundation. It has to be the foundation of my sobriety because if it's not, then I'll lose it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give it back to keep it. Um, And if I don't give it back, I won't keep it. I believe that. Right. So, yeah. So giving it back and, and giving it up to God, God, as you understand him, whatever, or her, or it, or the universe, or mother nature, or karma, whatever you believe in, it's a power greater than you, man. It's like, that's my thing, you know? Like, I just got to give it up. I got to give up power and control of everything in my life and surrender to the forces because we can't control fucking everything. We can't control other people. We just have to, like, roll with it, you know? And for me, it's easier just to surrender to God and the universe and be like, hey, I know that it's taken care of. Thank you. I'm grateful for what I have. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, but my life's much better when I do. So that was a long-winded answer. <laughs> that is my recovery uh, uh, journey, and it's and it's ongoing, obviously. Yeah, man, there is a lot of of gold in there, and I want to unpack. I want to unpack a lot of it. Um, I, I want to put a, a bookmark on. We're we're gonna kind of maybe go back. And, and go chronologically through some of the yeah. things that I can at least remember. Um, the, one of the first things being, you said when you were 21, there was um, a point in time where you, you recognized, right, that you had a, a problem with, with alcohol and with drugs. Um, what, what was that moment of clarity like for you? How, how did you kind of awaken and, and gain consciousness of that fact that you actually did have a problem? Yeah. So the way that you put, you say awaken or gain consciousness, I feel like I was like trying to look back and view myself as like an awakened human being. And it was not that, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that. those aren't the descriptors to describe it. Right. I think it was like an, Oh shit moment of like mm. being like, I neglected this for my life, but, but my dad drank every day. My grandfather died an alcoholic. My aunt almost killed herself after my dad died from drinking a bottle of vodka and seven Xanax a day. You know, my, uh, uh, my mom's side, my mom had an addiction problem. My mom's brother was a, a crack addict. Like, it's like, I started putting all these pieces together at 21 and it was an Oh shit moment. It was like, Oh no. Like, am I like, I, I think I'm an alcoholic too. You know what I mean? It's like, right. and I was just like, a, I did not want that to be the case, you know? So it wasn't an awakened moment. I mean, I guess it was in certain senses of like recognizing I had a problem because I did. And I think I kind of amended it to myself but I just swept that back under the rug or back under the, like the 24 case boxes that were like in my kitchen that I didn't clean up and just <laughs> left it there. You know, I tell garbage day, I had to look at it again every now and then, <laughs> and then I'll, like, take it out of the fridge or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just like continue to not address it, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's more of like what that looked like for me, at least internally. Gotcha. But then you, you got to where you were, I think you said 23 where you, you kind of started, reevaluating coming back to those thoughts again of of like maybe it was another oh shit moment um but maybe when was that time that moment where you felt like you did gain consciousness so to speak or yeah. you did kind of awaken these are good questions grant wow you're, you're pulling it apart this is good uh, <laughs> you're making me think and like realize things about myself too this is, this is positive um, for me. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's more of like a conscious, um, like realization to where I'm like, 
okay, like now I know that I have a problem with drinking. Cause I realized I was like, okay, when I start drinking, I can't stop. Like literally, you know, like there's very few times in my drinking career where I sat down at the bar and had two beers. And if I did, if I did do it, it was cause I was trying with every ounce of my body to only have two beers to like prove to myself that I could, or because I was trying to slow down so bad. Cause I fucked up and like committed a felony last week or something, you know, that like I was scared I was going to get caught for. And I was like, all right, I really have to get a hold on this man. Like, come on lane, like slap myself in the face of the mirror. It's like, you're having two drinks tonight, man. You know, and I go belly up to the bar, have my two 9% IPAs. And then once I got to the end of that second one, I just was pissed off, you know? <laughs> and then like eventually, you know, it would turn into me drinking three, four, five, six, and just like spiral out of control again, you know? But um, at that point at 23, I was like, I knew that, I knew I had a drinking problem 100%. There was no denying it. But then I made a conscious decision in that moment, if you will, or a continuous decision to just drink. You know, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, probably. Or I definitely have a problem with drinking. I don't know if I was, call I was calling myself an alcoholic for sure. But I was like, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to keep drinking, you know, because I'm not going to stop. And then doing that for like a year when I got started to get sober at 24, that whole year led me up to that point where I was telling you about emotional, mental, and spiritual turmoil and the self-hatred. That whole year really just like compounded like interest. My entire drinking and drugging career, that last year was just like, just fucking adding up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like a 401k, just climbing. <laughs> and that 401k was 401k your... when you're in your mid 60s. You know what I'm talking about? That's right. That's right. Especially nowadays, if you're in 401ks and tech stocks and, uh, and maybe Bitcoin. <laughs> Shout uh, out Bitcoin uh, to our sponsors, Bitcoin. Yeah, that Bitcoin is sponsoring the entire podcast. So thank you. You get you get one whole Bitcoin every time you say Bitcoin on your podcast. <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> Dude, I would um, take I would just take an XRP every time I say XRP, 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 XRP. I don't care. Yeah, like well, XRP may not may not get you to that that compound interest that you that you want as much. Um, XRP, 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 XRP. That that compounding though that was that was your last year of college. Uh yeah yes. Okay. Yeah, like the, my junior and senior year. Like okay. La latter half of junior senior year. Gotcha. Um, because I, I mean I just I find it fascinating. I don't remember. I remember. I remember you telling me this before uh, tonight, but the the statement of can't live with myself uh, or can't live with alcohol can't live without it um yeah. that i think is just so powerful in terms of its representation of like your feeling right because you're, you're you're clearly in pain right and the that it's it's a this like lose-lose situation of living with that pain sober or drinking the pain away and and realizing the pain of the addiction that you that you're creating for yourself after the fact and um i just can't imagine you know being in that situation and you know i have family members uh, that we've talked about that are experiencing that and living through that experience right now it's just i know there's so many people um you know that are continuing to experience that similar uh condition or situation especially in a time like now where there's so much isolation so much 
uh, pain in, in what's happened with COVID and the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kind of like, what, what would you kind of say to someone that's maybe in that same boat as you are senior year of college? Um, what, what would you go back and tell that person to maybe allow them to, to come to that realization that you eventually came to? Yeah. Uh, first I'll say that like that quote you mentioned, uh, can't live with it, can't live without it. It's not an original quote comes from like in a very important book. Uh, mm. it's about yay big and it's blue and it's like a spiritual book and it, I, I use it for my sobriety, but, um, I was going to give you that quote. Yeah, no, no, you can't give me that. It's not mine, dude. I'm not that enlightened of a being, <laughs> but, but back to your question to, of like, um, what would I tell somebody? And I don't think it has to be that same guy or girl that's it, senior year of college struggling with like quitting drinking or using or whatever. It could be anybody, especially right now. Just like you said, it's super relevant with like whether you're 15 or 20 or like 40 or 60, like, and you were just like at that point, you know, that I was at the internal struggle. Um, you know, you don't ever have to feel that way again. If you don't want to, and you might say like, well, yeah, I don't want to feel this way. But I mean, if you keep using, keep drinking, then you apparently, I mean, your actions are speaking louder because I was doing that too. I was like, I don't want to feel this way, but kept drinking, kept using, right? But the thing is, is like taking a, a taking a, a step in the right direction, which is just, uh, you know, reaching out to somebody um, that has a community and sobriety, right? You know, and like yeah. there's a lot of resources online that uh, um, can tell you about different communities in your area or like 12 step programs that are free, you know, that you can talk to somebody, whether it's drug addiction, alcohol, they have like groups for all specific kinds of drugs too, right? You can get in a group of people that are just like you, I promise. Because when I walked into the rooms I walked into, I was shocked with the story, the stories that people were telling because they were my story. But I was like, how did, you know, there's no way because we're very similar. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying to get at that point is that the reason you don't have to feel that way ever again, if you take a couple of actions to help yourself is, and it's all, for, you could all do it for free too. Right. And some people need to go to uh, rehabs and rehabs are good. You know, if, uh, if people are willing to go because people have to make their own choice, but if you're willing to help yourself, whether it's take that step, go to that rehab, call that person, whatever it is. Um, um, I'm telling you this because there's people who have done it before you. And so you can do it too. You know what I mean? Like a lot of us think we're, think we're so special. You know, I thought I was special. Like I can't do it. You know, we're not that, I mean, we're all humans. Right. And these other humans have paved a way for me so I can follow in their footsteps. I think that our experience is like our greatest asset in life. So my experience is like, I can leverage my experiences to help somebody else. This goes for anything, whether it's drugs and alcohol or just life in general, you know what I mean? Like any topic in life, if you have experience in the subject, you can give that experience to someone else and as they please, you know, but maybe it'll help them. Maybe it'll go one in one ear, not the other, but it could help them. You know what I mean? Our experience is our greatest asset, I believe. So to wrap that up, long answer to a short question. It's like, you don't have to feel that way again. You just have to take some small action. And um, um, the reason you don't have to feel that way ever again, is because it's proven because people have done it before, you know, and there's a way to do it. There's many ways to do it, but uh, I found one that worked for me. But there's communities everywhere of people that are getting sober and staying sober uh, um, that you can be a part of, you know, and uh, it's true and it's real because I did it. 
you know, two years yeah. clean and sober, November 6th of this year, uh, you know, and like, I never thought I'd be there, you know, and I got, and I, I made it right. And that's not to brag or boast, but like, that's a long ass time for the dude that was staring in the mirror, wanting to curb stomp himself, not figure, not knowing if he could ever live without having a drink of alcohol or using drugs to change the way that you felt to the man I am today, you know? Yeah. And you can do it too. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think um, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and and one of the the, the guests was um, there. And, and talking about COVID, they were saying, you know, the leading cause of death it's not it's not actually heart disease, it's not actually cancer, um, automobile accidents, it's not any of those things you would expect. The leading cause of death is actually loneliness, and Whoa. yeah, and. Um, and really? I was just like, Whoa. and they had like the stats to back it up and everything. There's, yeah. I haven't looked at them. He, he said, there's, um, there are stats, you know, and, and I don't know how that's, that's all tracked, but intuitively hey, you like, heard it on a podcast, I believe it. If you heard it on a podcast, it's real. Um, just know that. <laughs> I was going to say, Grant, you probably listen to and make a lot more podcasts than I do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think they were sponsored by Bitcoin as well. <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> um, but you know, intuitively, like, let's just assume that's true. It's, it, there's so much value, just, I think you and I both know, and just community and um, the people that are around you, you know, you've heard the, the saying, you are the, the, the compilation of the five people that are cl- you're closest to. Yeah. Um, I think that's so true. And, and um, you know, we were talking before this, we started even recording about just how the importance of your environment is on your habits. And, um, you know, if you have a lot of junk food in your house, you're probably going to eat that and you're probably going to get fat. So, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not necessarily always about, you know, just self will and in, in pursuing and persisting through a shitty environment. Sometimes it's just changing yeah. your environment and being around people that are encouraging and supportive and uplifting and, um, you know, you didn't have, uh, it sounds like the best environment growing up. There was a lot of shit that you had to kind of dig through, um, growing up. And, and so, um, my kind of leading question to that is, is you, you had this experience, um, that I want to, that I want to kind of double click on with this, uh, LSD experience, right? Was it LSD? Yeah. yeah. Mushrooms, acid. No, no, yeah. Yeah. And so you have this experience and it's interesting because a lot of people have like a, a pit moment or, um, you know, you hear a lot of stories of, of, um, past, you know, addicts who they hit bottom or rock bottom, whatever they call it. Um, and then that, that kind of changes the flips the script for them, but it sounds like you had almost like the, the inverse where you had like this eye opening spiritual experience that allowed you to get to the place where you could seek out be comfortable to seek out help um tell me if like if i'm wording that correctly and just how how you would describe that yeah so that's interesting you put it that way because in your right to a certain extent right and but at the same time i still had that emotional rock bottom back in like april of 2018 uh, when I stopped drinking, right? Cause I, I, I stopped drinking, but I kept using, right? So I stopped, when I stopped drinking, that was when I was like emotionally bottom, just like self-hatred, 
all that in my head, my emotions, terrible, right? Yeah. So then when I get to this point to where I took the LSD seven months into abstaining from alcohol, but still using, I was, I was still working my way back up or working through a, still a really shitty mental, emotional, and spiritual time through those seven months. So I wasn't necessarily, I was not in a good spot, right? My like actual emotional bottom, like real emotional bottom was up here. And then it kept growing and like getting shittier because I was contemplating suicide a lot more towards the end. And then, yeah, I had that. I went to Miami and took those four hits of acid that night. Saw Will Clark, uh, 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 Claptone. No, was it Claptone? Will Clark. Um, dude, how am I forgetting this right now? This MK, Will Clark, MK, and Camel Fat, dude, like. Two of the biggest names in house, Camel Fountain, Will Clark, or I mean, uh, uh, MK, which is crazy. Anyways, I was super excited for it. So I went, took that. Yeah. And I had this like enlightened, like spiritual experience. But I also like, I think psychedelics can be used for a good purpose. Well, my cat's meowing one second. Yes. Um, she runs my household. <laughs> What's up, kitty? What's up, kitty? kitty? Um, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, I did have this like gnarly spiritual experience that was like positive. It was good. Um, but yeah, I think it was so crazy that it like brought me, it was the most acid I'd ever done. I think the strongest, most I'd ever done. And it brought me to this like euphoric, like out of body place. And I came to the conclusion that I didn't need to use drugs or alcohol anymore. I could do, I could get this like euphoric feeling in sobriety. And how I didn't exactly know. I was like probably through prayer, but like that's I mean you can do a lot of things with meditation and prayer. That's really cool. That's a really cool like thing you can explore. But like I didn't know exactly how it was going to happen. But like I don't know. It was like it was almost like a God planted idea, or like the universe was just like do this, you know, like you can't, you know. And so I did, you know. Yeah, it was gnarly. But like not to take away from like that buildup of like needing to change, because like as humans. We make a change when we get so uncomfortable that we have to absolutely make a change. And then we finally make a change. Sometimes that changes for the better. And sometimes that change is permanent too, which is the saddest shit, you know, and I was there as well. And when I say that, it's, you know, I mean, suicide, right. And that's terrible. And like, that's very prevalent right now and not good. Right. So it's like, I think that a lot of people are uh, 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 advocating for normalizing like mental health help and help for different things and stuff like that, which I think is dope. And it's a positive thing coming out of COVID. Um, but there's a lot of resources that we can get help from. Right. And I love that. But, um, but yeah, so to answer your initial question, yeah, it kind of was like inverse, you know what I mean? But I still had that buildup of like shittiness internally, but that one experience was a very much spiritual elevated experience to like have this idea planted in my head that I don't have to use or drink anymore. And I can get that through sobriety. Crazy. It was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back and, and touch on, you know, the, the, the thing that maybe saved you, which was, um, you know, this community that you, that you surrounded yourself with. What, what was it that allowed you to really accept that, this group was, was going to be something that was going to be for the better. That was going, you were going to allow yourself to, to change this time. Um, what was different? Maybe this, at this point, you know, was it, was it this emotional bottom, like that you finally hit? Was it something else external maybe to your, your circumstances at that time? Um, 
you know, I ask it because I, I think a lot of people go and, and try and get help, but, and find community, but they're maybe not ready. Um, and I, I, I'm just curious kind of what, what, what was it that was going on internally or externally in your life that, that made it possible for you to accept that help? Yeah. So I think it's like, I'll come, for me, it comes down to internal. I don't think external uh, uh, circumstances or like pressures are good enough to make alcoholics and addicts actually make a true change. You know what I mean? Like I never did because it has to be internal. Cause if not, then I, the change won't stick for me at least. So it was internal. And it was like, I just finally, it was a continuation of that emotional bottom, but it was just finally, like, I realized like, I was like, I'm out of ideas. Like I'm out of good ideas. Like every time I decide to do something or like, you know, when I use and drink and like, it's running on my self will and I'm like doing these things cause I want to do them and I know it's best. It does not work out like ever. You know what I mean? It's like really bad. So then I finally found a community that I felt like I could trust. And since I was not happy at the, at the time, you know, three months sober when I found this group that I'm at, I wasn't happy, but I could trust these people. I felt like, because they were like me, but they had extensive amount of time of sobriety, like lots of, lots of years, you know? And I was like, wow, like this is actually really impressive. I kind of like what they're saying. Um, and I'll give it a try. Cause like, I'm out of good ideas. Like my ideas are shitty because my ideas run me into the ground, you know? So I was so uncomfortable that I had to make a change. Like, I was just like, all right, try to kind of like surrender to that group of people. I was like, all right, I'll surrender to y'all, not to God. Cause I'm so mad at God, but like, I'll surrender to y'all. Cause like, I trust that y'all know something I don't know. You know, that's what it yeah. came down to for me. What, what were those key pieces of, of knowledge or insight that you gained through that community that, that really um, fostered change for you? Hmm. That's a really great question. Um, I would say that like the guidance provided by like the, my mentor in the program, um, you know, that was huge because I needed somebody to kind of walk me through what it looked like to take a look at myself and work on myself and like admit defeat, if you will, you know, and surrender to like alcoholism, which is like, that's a tough fucking thing to do. Right. But like having somebody to walk me through like the, the, the steps that, that, uh, that are proven and that worked for me and shown that they work for him, they work for me. That was like critical. Also the, uh, what was the original question? Can you go back? Just, just the knowledge, um, you know, or, or like, just tell me about how you acquired that knowledge to become sober, basically. Yeah. yeah. So it was like working with my mentors, like key, right. Also the community is a huge piece because I learned from my peers, especially people that are like similar links to sobriety as me. So if I find some dudes that are like six months sober, a year sober, like three months sober, like whatever, like if we're in like early sobriety together, like it's cool to like hang out and like learn from these people and everyone like is trying to stay sober so we can do shit together or like talk and like relate and stuff like that. Right. So that's cool. Also learning from elders, which is always valuable, wise people. Um, and then one specific thing, knowledge that I, that I gained um, was two women in my, in my uh, community. We were talking one night and uh, I had shared with my group that like, I was feeling like I'm putting in the effort. I'm trying to connect with God. I'm trying to form a relationship. I really, really am trying consistently and it's not happening. I don't feel any different and I don't like it, you know? And after our meeting, they, they told me, we were talking outside and they said, 
just like, just keep on doing what you're doing, please. Like, I promise you it's going to come, like it's going to happen. And when it does, it's going to be mind blowing and you'll never see it coming or never like have imagined like how close you can feel to God. And, and, and that came true for me, you know, recently in the past six months, if you will, during COVID, you know, during this shit, you know, and it's like wild. Um, Cause I had had bits and pieces of it ever since those women told me that like months after I've had bits and pieces of God moments is what I'll call them. And uh, as I've heard that from somebody else, but it's like moments of just like clarity of like feeling connected to God or the universe and just like bliss, right? Or like, you know, th that feeling we've all got it, right? Like whether you believe in God or not, or whatever it is, it's just like that magical feeling that you get. That's like, whoa, like that's some supernatural shit or, you know what I mean? Something different. I've had those moments along the way, but the more I get connected and consistently reach out to God and, and, is my, and form that friendship and that bond and connect to a power greater than me, I feel it more. And like, I'm a super realist, you know? So like, I don't know like how real it is to be like walking on a pink cloud, like with your hand in hand, like with God, you know, like going through life like this. I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know if people actually can like do that and be real about it, right? But I do know that I can be a real ass human being and have a relationship with God that like wants the best for me and the universe is working for me as long as I'm doing the right thing. Right. And now that I've been working towards that consistently, I do have that connection much more often and it keeps my eyes open, you know, asking God like, Hey, please keep my eyes open so I can see opportunities to help other people and then maximizing on them. You know, and that's, I feel like that brings me closer to God because I believe that we're all here to help others. And that's like the answer to the age old question. So those are the answers, that's the answer to your question. But that last experience, those two women telling me that, that was a huge piece of knowledge for me to be like, holy shit, like, well, later on in hindsight, because when they told me at first, I was like, all right, whatever, dude, this is stupid. I'm pretty sure I got in my car and like drove home, like angrily, like listening to a little peep or something, you know, like depressed. <laughs> but, uh, but I, back on the conversation, I was like, wow, I was like, they're not lying. You know, they were, they were being real. Yeah. Um, would you, would you mind telling a little bit about your your relationship with god or how how would you describe your your faith or uh, and maybe the just the impact it's had on, on your recovery yeah dude great question so this is my cat what's olive. up buddy what's her name again olive it's a olive. beautiful young lady nice. um she's a sign me she's a little um so god yeah like yeah, that's a great question, right? Because, like, dude, I, when I first, because I, okay, so I grew up Christian in Texas, like most of us. And um, yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't forced into church necessarily, like a lot of people were. I wasn't like a preacher's kid or anything, but I did go to my fair amount of church. I was exposed to it. Christianity was the prime religion in my area, really the only religion in my area. It was weird how we, how I grew up. We, I say we, because you're from Texas, but at least in my community, it was like, other religions were like weird or like taboo or something, you know, it's just like, cause like in Texas it's like Christianity is the only way, you know what I mean? It's just kind right. of goofy. It's, it's weird, man. But um, anyways, uh, I grew up with that. And, and honestly, not to not Christianity, I think there's a lot of great things to learn from it. Like Jesus was like an awesome dude. Like he did so much good shit and just loved and helped people and like hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and shit or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I love that. You know, that's me. You know what I mean? Out of the mud. Um, I'm like Jesus, you know, or try to be. 
um, try to be like Jesus. But, um, but yeah, so basically like my relationship with God today, I say that because like that kind of formed my, I thought I had that relationship and I did, and I did as a kid and stuff. I'm not going to take away from that, but it also fueled my hatred towards God when my parents died. You know what I'm saying? Cause I was like, I thought I had this relationship and I was like, I believed in a God that like, you know, blessed us, but also took us away type shit. You know what I mean? Like blessed us, but punished us. You know what I mean? And like, I thought that's what was, was happening to me. I thought I was getting punished. Why me? What was me type stuff? And God was to blame. Right. So, um, so then finally, like my relationship with God today, I told you I worked through some of that resentment towards God which was really hard to do. That was my biggest resentment is towards God. I was like, fuck you, God. Like, I hate you. You know what I mean? Like you took my parents, dude. You took my parents. I'm 24. My sisters are still in school. And like, you took our parents. You know what I mean? Like, what, what the hell? Then my, my, my mentor shared with me, like his experience that he lost his daughter in a drunk driving accident. She wasn't drunk. It was someone else, you know? And he told me how he handled it. And he grieved and everything, but he didn't resent God for it. And he told me why. He said, it's because I believe that God is my friend, wants the best for me and my family. And I believe that he was grieving right next to us. And I said, I mentioned this earlier. This is from my, my mentor's words. And then he said, um, he wants the best for us. He grieved right next to us. Um. I forget exactly. I lost my train of thought there for a second. But anyways, it like basically that like, oh, yeah, and shit happens like like there's not always a reason for everything that happens in life. Like God doesn't just. All right, this person's going to die. This person's going to die. This person's going to die. Like, it's not I don't believe it's like that. I believe it's just like. We're all like existing in this like universe and who knows, like there's more, you know, like that's cool, too. Yeah. But like. God is just like the creator of it all. I believe like something has to be creator of something. Like I'm not saying evolution doesn't exist. It probably, it definitely does obviously, but like something had to create something. Right. So it's like, God, the universe, like what is all, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, is like, it shit happens. You know what I mean? Like there's not a ruler with an iron fist saying like, you die, you die. Like you were a bad kid. Your parents are dead type shit, you know? So then I finally realized like, you know what? God doesn't hate me and God doesn't like want to punish me. Like God is who I want it to be. So I can, I create my own God. And how I do that is I pull from different religions. I pull a lot, like Jesus is a dope dude. So like, I like the, what he did for people and the way he treated people. So if I could be like Jesus in the way I treat people, that would be great. Have those qualities or be like Buddha and be peaceful as hell. And like the, 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 the qualities from like Buddhism, you know, like peaceful, introspective, inner peace breathes outer peace you know what i mean like it's like yeah. i can do that from buddhism and i'm still learning a lot of other religions stuff i don't actively do it all the time but like i like to take bits and pieces and like the Tao, like the river be as a river and shit like that's dope you know flowing through life right so like i can take all these different things i think they all lead to the same place but they that might be true but for me i'm the only person that i'm fucking responsible for you know at this moment in time because i i'm just you know it's just me at the end of the world i mean at the end of the day we're all just fucking going out. You know what I mean? It's like me, you know, and got to, got to go solo. Um, 
But yeah, I have to decide who is God to me or who is my higher power. And some people, you don't have to, you know, I, that's what I had to do. But for, for myself, that's what I feel. But like, you know, and also just exploring that, like, do I believe in a higher power? Like, is the universe, like, what does the universe mean to me? And like, is there, are there powers and energy at bay or like in out in the world that are like governing things like nature? Like, how is that? You know what I mean? Like, right. there's all kinds of like things that are just greater than us as single human beings that like we can connect with. So I connect with God. My God is my friend. And I pull from different schools of thought, religions, karma, you know, all those things and connect. And Absolutely. Prayer. Yeah. I think whatever kind of to, to, to wrap a bow on that, maybe um, whatever kind of higher power you believe in, I think it helps when you're in those, those deep, dark uh, places, you know, within, within the pit of whatever battles you're fighting um, to, to have something you can, you can surrender to, right. Um, that word surrender, yes. I think is so, um, so impactful and, and meaningful and, you know, whatever it is to, to, to know, you know, as, as you're, uh, you mentioned, like maybe it is just shit happens and, and there's something beyond our scope of, of knowing that we can't, we can't really understand or grasp. Yeah. Um, and to live with that and be at peace with that is, um, is so challenging, but so mm -hmm. profound if, if you can surrender and, and, um, and really just kind of give up to, to not knowing, uh, to not knowing why, like why, why like your parents would be taken away from you at such a young age. It's just like unfathomable, but to have like something to surrender to, I think is, is so important. Um, I want to ask just a few more questions and then, and then we can, um, start to kind of wrap up, but I want to talk about, um, you know, that you've mentioned a lot of different challenging moments and I'm sure there's even more that you can, you can share, but, um, what, what like failure, maybe personal failure or apparent failure, um, can you remember that, that set you up for later success? It's a really great question. You've been asking amazing questions. This is like, you know, I'm gonna have to come back on in like two years when it's like on and popping by then, you know, you gotta some <laughs> fresh ones too. Uh, uh, but, um, and then I'm gonna start a podcast and I'm gonna think of some hard ass questions to ask you <laughs> on my show, see how you like it. Uh, no, but um, can you please repeat the question? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, there's a lot of like struggles and, and things that you've obviously endured, um, a lot of which like we haven't even discussed, but what what is a maybe a failure you can think of or apparent failure that you experienced um, that that maybe set you up for for like an actual success or um, that you were able to reflect back on and and you realized like I had to go through that to get to where I'm at now. Like that, that shit, that bathtub of shit, that was, that was crucial because I, I, I learned and I, I grew to love myself, for example. Um, is there any like one maybe particular example or story you have of, of a failure like that? Yeah. And I think I'm going to like take it to like a different route of like business or like career. Because I had this experience last year, and there's a lot of other experiences, but I remember the emotions of this one very specifically. I'm in sales. I'm working to get into something that fulfills me more, right? But, but currently, I'm in sales. I'm grateful for my job. 
Uh, I enjoy it, um, you know, for the most part, and I'm thankful to be employed. But anyway, so last year, um, it was like my life, though. Like, I was new in my career, like, very much invested wholly. And my biggest account that was up for renewal what was going to come down. It came down, and it came down. So I was $120,000 negative, which if you're familiar with sales, you don't have to be. That's not good. You know what I mean? That's a lot of money, right? You have to make that up. And I did make that up. I did not. Um, And I remember feeling so defeated, but like self-loathing, you know, just like, oh, like, whoa, it's me. Like, this is the end of the world. And it felt like it for me. So my feelings were valid to a certain extent, but that that carried on. It's just like, poor me, poor me. Like, why is this happening to me? Like, it's always something with me. You know what I mean? It's like, my life is shitty. Like, can I catch a break? Right. Um, so I think that that experience and feeling those feelings coupled, like coupled with a lot of other experiences in my life where I felt really sorry for myself, which we all have moments of like that self-loathing or self-pity. Self-pity is a better word. Self-pity. Lots of self-pity moments, but that one specifically sticks out. But very recently, in like past couple months, I have like a lot of mottos or like life mottos, I say. But like one thing I've realized is that today I know that everything is already taken care of. So my faith in God and my faith in like the universe and like my faith faith in like good deeds, like doing the next right thing and helping others and just being a kind person, trying to be a kind person as much as I can. And I'm always going to mess up, but uh, I can try my hardest. But like that faith I have in those things and those, 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 those foundations those pillars having that faith gives me the peace to know that like hey man it's already all taken care of somehow because isn't it all in life like you're sitting here with me and if you're listening you're sitting here listening to a fucking podcast like oh okay like you went through all, like you've been through a lot of shitty situations but like did you make it through you know what i mean like you're still here like whatever your situation is like you're still sitting with fucking internet or like a smartphone or like a computer. You probably ate today, hopefully, you know, and, uh, uh, and your electricity is on, you know, uh, and, and you made it. it and it was taken care of. Right. So to bring that back, it's like, for me, the realization of like, there's no need to trip out about everything. And there's no need to like, just self pity, like, Oh, Oh, oh you know, it's just, it, it comes down to it for me. It's like, yeah, dude, shit happens in life. I'm here to like live it, you know, and if it, when, when, not if, when shit happens, I know I have faith in God and the universe that like, it's already taken care of for me down the road, somehow, some way, all I have to do is do the next right thing. You can't just sit on your ass and have it be taken care of. Cause that's not how that works. Right. Just have faith that's taken care of and do the next right thing. Invite God into it is what I do. You know, like God, please help me. And it works out, man. It does. And that was a huge, huge life lesson. So I hope to be able to continue to live by that, you know, moving forward. Absolutely. Um, kind of reflecting when, you know, when you think back on, you know, your journey and it's ongoing, right? Your journey through yeah. addiction and up until this point, what, um, what, if anything, would you have maybe done differently? My journey up to this point, right? So like, are we talking about um, like getting up to that? Are you talking about like in recovery or like before, just like in general? Yeah, in, in general and anything just up into life at this point, um, okay. you know, it could be prior to uh, recovery or it could be something that happened in recovery, um, could be something I would have done different. 
Yeah, it could be being uh, ha- almost naked on a mountain in Alaska. <laughs> well, that's why would you say that? It's like <laughs> I, <laughs> I've never done that. No, no, no. Um, no, this is easy. I would have not left my mom's fucking side in hospital when she was dying. I didn't know she was dying at the time, so I can't. I, I can't, I've always kicked myself for this, but I would not have left to go back to fuck. I just started my job. I've only been there for three or four months. I was trying to like work my ass off because it's my first career. I, I don't come from much, you know, like financially. So like, I'm like, this company's paying me like good money, you know, like as a kid graduated from college, like I don't come from much. I need to like make this money. Right. So like, I can't like beat myself up for it, but I'll say like as a message, if anyone hears like this message, like if family, if there's some family shit going on, and someone's not doing good, whether that be physically ill, like my mom had cancer and the cancer came back, she was not doing good in the hospital, like don't leave, you know? Or like, you know what I mean? We some we have to have our alone time sometimes, but like don't fly back to fucking Florida from Texas to go back to work, you know? Or like if someone's really in a mentally bad spot that you're close to and you love and like they're suicidal or whatever, like, like stay and like help as much as you can, you know? Uh, um, or if some, whatever the situation is when someone's sick or hurting or in a really bad spot, uh, 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 I would say like, don't let business or work or whatever, like take you out of a situation to like love on your loved ones. You know what I'm saying? Cause like, I regret every day leaving that hospital or leaving Texas to go back to fucking work. Cause I get back there and my mom passed like seven days later, six, six or seven days later. Like that's not worth it. Like this having this job today is not worth not being there for that, you know? So that's, that would be like my one thing I would change. Man, thanks for sharing that, man. Um, priorities in, in family, you know, it's gotta, gotta be first, right? Um, yeah. Man. It's hard to do that sometimes though, in the moment. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with that, you know, even myself, um, realizing, you know, I haven't talked to maybe my mom in a few days and, just like having the discipline to pick up the damn phone and, and give her a call. Um, you know, and take, taking things for granted and taking people for granted, people you love for granted. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's so important to, to remember. Um, all right. I'm going to hit you with one final question. Um, it's a, it's maybe a hard hitter but you've been rolling with the punches fantastically tonight. Um, What is something you, you believe that people you either work closely with, it could be um, at your company you're at now or, or just people in your circle. What is something you believe uh, that, that those people that you're surrounded by would disagree with you on? Mm, I thought you were going to say like, think of you, like say quality of yours or something. I was like, that's not hard enough for the heavy hitter. Um, <laughs> would, disagree, would disagree with me on. Yeah, something you believe strongly that that those people, the people closest to you, would would disagree with you on. It could be like a, a principle or a, a like a philosophy or um, an idea or or something that that you believe strongly that that people around you don't get or don't see or just don't don't believe themselves 
So I'll bring up something. I don't know how like controversial it is, but I don't know if that's the purpose of the, the, the thing, but I think it's a good topic. But true altruism. So I think that a lot of people I know believe in true altruism, that that someone can actually do something for someone else and it be completely unselfish without any self-seeking motives. And I disagree. I think that there's always a self-seeking motive in an act of kindness or something good for somebody else. Cause it, at least deep down inside, we know that we're going to have, that there's like something that's going to reinforce that good deed for us internally. That feels good. But recently I've come to the conclusion that I believe in certain instances, there is true altruism within that all people can have. And for example, my example of true altruism, and also my mom, Mindy Verba is my mom's name. Amazing. Um, she always said, when you tell people about the good deeds you do for them, it takes away from that good deed. So I always try to live by that and not talk about it. But for this example, this isn't a crazy good deed or anything, but it, it paints my example of true altruism does exist in very specific situations. I was at the airport. My mom had just passed away. I was going back to Florida after whatever, leaving, leaving from Florida back to Texas to be with my family. And um, these two women were getting into this car at the airport. They had big ass suitcases. The person that was driving them, I don't know if it was their family or just sitting in the, the, the car was a man, two women trying to like put these suitcases in the trunk. I didn't notice it at first. And I, I like look, see immediately, women struggling with suitcase and without thinking I went and helped them put the bags in the car. And I said, thank you so much. I'm like, you're welcome. Of course. And then in that moment, I didn't premeditate any good deed and I didn't know I was going to get anything out of it. Like a feel good thing because like I was trained to like help if I see someone who needs help. So like in that moment, when I saw it automatically, I helped. Right. And those women said to me, it was insane. My mom had passed away like three days before. The woman said, your mom must be so proud, which is nuts that she said that, you know, and I said, I told the woman, I said, she is, you know, so anyways, I think that true altruism exists in those very specific moments. But other than that, I don't think that true altruism can exist in any premeditated action or good deed. So that's my, that's my, I love that like topic. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's, um, that's beautiful. And I think that wraps, uh, kind of everything up that, we, that we've been talking about um you know like that 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 coincidental so so almost impossible moment where yeah. you would help someone and she would say your mom must be so proud this just seems to be like almost leads you to believe like there what, what is going on like there's exactly. gotta be this this higher power thing that's working yeah. its magic on on this situation and like looking after me uh, yeah so no, that's beautiful, man. I, um, what do I believe that, that people disagree yeah. with me on? Um, man, dude, is it, is it Bitcoin? <laughs> Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. <laughs> so, I've been going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole and it is, uh, it is, man, it's a, it's a dark cavernous place and they're lonely. It's, it can be lonely, but, um, <laughs> Dude, I've got a lot of just weird ones. Like, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's that controversial of a topic nowadays. It seems like more stories are coming out, but like, I think aliens exist. Oh sure. yeah. Um, Apparently like Donald Trump and like 
uh, Iran, not Iran, but uh, uh, Israel or something like made contact with like this league of extraterrestrials or something. But they were like, don't tell the people because they're not ready for us type shit. It's like, what? If, if any ex-president is going to have a tell-all and reveal all the secrets <laughs> of the government, it's Donald fucking Trump. <laughs> no. that'll be the best thing that comes out of his presidency for sure yeah but, if yeah. we can figure out that there actually are aliens um i think the past four years will will have been well worth it <laughs> but i hope we find out that there is it <laughs> gotta be right it's gotta be it's gotta be but yeah most of mine are stupid um you know now people might think that's stupid until it comes out that aliens are real and then who's gonna be fucking stupid at that point not you that's true yeah and i'm sure they probably pay for things in bitcoin too so <laughs> the aliens do <laughs> they're the ones driving the crazy increase in bitcoin over the past three four months <laughs> exactly so yeah basically my my beliefs revolve around uh extraterrestrial life and and money that is made on the Doesn't internet exist. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah man i'm uh I'm really glad that, you know, you're able to share your story, um, with, with me and, and whoever else is listening to this. Um, I think it's super powerful again with the times that, that we're in right now. And, um, I think if, you know, even one person can come away with this conversation with a little bit of of hope or some sort of direction, uh, to go from here, I think this was, you know, well, well worth it. And, um, I mean, dude, you're just like such an important person in my life. So I uh, always love getting the chance to talk to you, bro, and go deep and um, ex- explore. And it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to, to doing the journey um, with you, with you more, man, doing life more with you. So uh, yeah, man, not get, not to get too sappy. <laughs> no, dude, when I was thinking, you're like, love going deep. And I was just like, balls deep, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just same same but um yeah no i i'm excited man like in life we meet people i, I i've what i've come when i like got some clarity and like i'm focused on my like progression journey mine centers around recovery because my story not everybody's journey is around recovery most people's not you know most people's is other shit but when you meet someone that's doing the work is what i call it right like doing the work on themselves like grant you do the work you're on a self-progression journey, you know, in your own shit. You like to learn, you absorb, you're a student of life. You want to better yourself as a man. You want to experience new experiences so you can take from them and like form yourself into like a better person. You know what I mean? Like that's the work and I'm doing the same shit. And Martin Angus does the same shit. Andrew French does the same shit. You know what I mean? And these are all men that I've met in my life that are doing the work. And I met all these men I just mentioned and Grant, you're one of them, of course, like I just said. And in uh, the time I got sober, because like my consciousness was like raised in a sense, yeah. right? I was open to it. So when you meet someone that's doing the work and that you connect with, it's like super dope. Because then it's like when you spend time with them, it's not this bullshit conversation at the bar that's going fucking nowhere. It's not this conversation coked out in the fucking bathroom, hiding your coke from the other people at the party because there's not that much left, but you're talking with your boy and they're doing it. It's this higher level consciousness conversation that you have with someone who's also doing the work. Um, you know, and like, it's a whole, it takes, a, it takes it to another level and that shit gets me excited, you know, yeah. cause I, I fucking I, enjoy spending time with you and my other homies are doing the same thing, you know? Absolutely. So. I like, I like, I mean, I think that's, 
it's interesting because that same downward spiral that that snowball like just that builds up to towards like despair that that you you know that you experience when you're you're going through um addiction and alcoholism and that same like path you can channel it and it can be the same exponential path mm. towards towards growth and yeah. Um, that snowball effect you can you can channel it in the right way um by putting yourself and surrounding yourself with the right people and and dude i feel i feel the exact same way man like i feel like this this path you know that i'm on personally is just getting so much bigger so much faster um just because you know i i haven't really thought about it in those terms but just like doing the work and, and like consistently yeah. showing up every day um and and with the intent to get better and and grow and and learn something new and gain new perspectives so um i i appreciate you saying that and um yeah man i i want to continue to show up and and see like you said what i can do to to help others because that's i think what it's all about um at the end of the day 100 percent, help others we just have to figure out how we're going to do it you know that's that's it that's the thing. Dude, I love that, man. And I can't wait to fucking do life with you in Southeast Asia when you come visit me, when I'm out there seeing the world, or you just come join me, whatever. That's Open invitation. Bro, save a save a seat for me on that on that plane. Yeah. We're gonna be uh, hitting up those temples. Yes. Getting but, super super centered. Can't wait. Absolutely. Well, dude, thanks again for uh, carving out time tonight, man. And uh, yeah, any any final parting words that you have for the for the people? Yeah, I actually thought about this earlier. Given like the times that we're in, one thing I'd like to leave everyone with is tell your people you love them. Like I've always been a big "I love you, man" guy, or "I love you, mom," or "I love you, Grammy," or, "I love you, grandma." My grandma wouldn't tell me she loved me for the longest time. She's like a hard hardened old woman but she's sweet as hell but she had a problem with saying i love you and i think a lot of us do but i beat her shell down i said i love your grandma i love your grandma like over and over and over again now she tells me and i think she tells other people too so it's like i just say that like tell your family tell your friends especially your friends if you love them if you love somebody don't hold it back and just think because like i feel like we don't say it enough you know so i'll say this i love you man hey i love you man <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope this conversation was of value. Uh, feel free to share, like, subscribe, uh, do whatever it is you crazy kids do these days. Uh, and we will see you again next week on the Protagonist Podcast.